Well, good morning. We are continuing to journey through the book of John, and we are almost through the entire book of John. We're in chapters 19 and 20. We've been throughout the summer kind of looking at this gospel account of the life of Jesus, and we are coming to those huge moments that defined Jesus's life. I remember a long time ago when I was a kid, um, I was uh, a little bit of a nerd, uh, nerd alert here, uh, but I was a kid and uh, my father was a pastor. He had an office and I did afternoon kindergarten. And so what it would be is I would go into the office with my father and he had different things that he did to keep me occupied. He'd buy me a pack of baseball cards and I'd sort it out. And I started getting into baseball statistics and I would kind of quiz my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, who hit the most home runs? Who, uh, who hit the most, uh, who had the most hits, all these different things. And at some point in time, I don't know if it was a birthday present, Christmas present, this is a gift that I received. Are you ready for this? This is super nerd alert. I got a baseball almanac, a baseball almanac full of baseball stats. Doesn't that sound exciting, everybody? I mean, this is like this is very uh, 1980s, isn't it? Because uh, now it's like, oh, who had the most home runs, uh, Siri? I better not say that because my, my phone will answer. But, um, but I got a baseball almanac and it was just, it was like 500 pages of baseball stats. Isn't that awesome? Okay, nobody. All right, nobody else. All right, I'm the only super nerd. Okay, and so I remember going through, and they had a section on fielding statistics, the best fielders. And, you know, of course, after you get through home runs and RBIs and all these other things, there's these other stats that come up, and it had a list of the best fielding percentage by first baseman in the history of baseball, and particularly first baseman per season. And I was going through this list and I saw something. And I was like, this is amazing. I found the best fielder I've ever heard of in my life. I'd never heard of this person whatsoever. So I went to my dad and I said, look at this person who is such a great fielding first baseman. Look at, he had all of these years where he didn't even make one error. Then tell me about this person. I said, tell me about this guy by the name of Bill Buckner. And I showed it to my dad. And he said, Bill Buckner, Bill Buckner. And he told me the story about Bill Buckner. And uh, Bill Buckner is a famous person. I bet you you've seen this clip, even if you're not a baseball uh, fan. Game six of the World Series, two outs, one more out. And the Red Sox win the World Series and break a multi-70-year curse of not winning the World Series. Ground ball to first base. Here we go. Take a look. Little roller up along first. Behind the back. Let's see it one more time. Let's see the error one more time. Hit it again there. Uh, uh, here we go. All right, you can pause it there, Titus. All right, so you can see that moment right there. 
Bill Buckner played 22 seasons, 22 seasons. He played 2,517 games. He had 10,037 at-bats, and he had a career fielding percentage of uh, 99.1%. 99.1% of the balls hit to him, he fielded correctly. But the the one thing that Bill Buckner is known for is that one play. That, isn't that, that's incredible, isn't it? That one moment. But that is how life goes sometimes. There are moments in time that are so defining. Moments in time that change everything. And, pe- and this is what we're getting into right now. The defining moment of Jesus's life. The reason that this gospel message was written, the reason that Jesus uh, has so many followers around the world, it's these moments in history. And that's really important for us to see and feel and understand in light of John, who is writing this and saying, this is why I wrote this book. So I want to read in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 28, and we um, are not going to re- read the entire section. Uh, I, uh, of course, once again, for the hundredth time, want to encourage you to read along and read uh, the entire book. And uh, it's so rich and so important, but we'll read a few sections in chapters 19 and 20. It says this. Uh, I should give it a little bit of preference. Prefer- Somebody help me with a word here. Preface? I should preface this? I shouldn't give it a little bit of preface. That doesn't make any sense. I should preface this. Uh, we are, uh, this is, Jesus goes to the cross. He is convicted. We talked about it a little bit last week, the trial that took place. He's on the cross, and these words are this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, And so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so we have this moment, of course, we understand some of the context. You have maybe heard the preface. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your help uh, of of what took place before this. We've read about this. There was this ongoing conflict that was taking place between Jesus and the uh, Jewish religious leaders that were kind of back and forth. And they had said, we're going to we're going to put an end to this earthly threat, this threat of our power. We're going to put an end to this voice. And they had schemed and they had gone back and forth. And there were several tense moments. And it rose to the point where they said, we're going to put Jesus on a cross. We're going to put him to death. And you understand that this is a Roman crucifixion. The Romans are the ones that rule the world, but it's the Jewish leaders that are the ones that are kind of the cultural leaders in this area for the Jewish people. And this was an important moment for them because a crucifixion was intentionally and deliberately a public And uh, it was supposed to be public and it was supposed to be incredibly painful. 
That was the point. The point was, get a cross, put it out in public, let everyone see it, hang somebody on it so people could see it and see what takes place if you try to buck the Roman rule. If you try to do something that would, that would diminish in any way the Romans' power. And this was the way that Jesus would die. And I'm sure these Jewish leaders who, who had fought back and forth and had schemed and planned and hoped for Jesus' death were just giddy at the idea that he would have this public, painful execution. So it was supposed to be public. And, and what they did is they... Sometimes they put a sign up saying, this is the charge that this person had. Put a sign on it, hang them on it, and it would take multiple hours for the person to die so that people publicly would know, don't do that. Pretty good deterrent, right? To say that. And, and this is what took place for Jesus, and this is what he endured. And he endured, of course, we know even before that, he endured... Uh, the, the whip, and he endured all of that. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He, they endure. He had to carry the cross up to that spot. He had to get nailed on that cross, and he had to be on that cross, gasping for every breath, every, you know, for hours upon hours. And that is what would be his fate. And they would publicly proclaim, don't do what this person did. That was the point. The point of it was fear. The point of it was to be a deterrent for anyone that would think of doing anything like that. And so we understand kind of the psyche and the psychology of the people who were wanting this to take place. The Jewish leaders that were wanting it to take place is they had a very particular specific goal. The goal was to get rid of this earthly threat now and forever and to squelch any idea of this continuing on and any of his followers getting any idea that this would continue on, put an end to this earthly threat. And so that's what took place. And on the cross right there, when you hear the words of Jesus saying, it is finished I can imagine, and this is just my own imagination, but I could imagine some of the Jewish leaders that were there that were looking forward to this moment must have think, yep, it is finished. It's finished. We got rid of this threat. We got rid of this earthly threat to our power, to our authority, to our voice. This person who was undermining everything that we said should be done. And so that was the goal. But you understand that this is why this story is so compelling. This is why we believe in Jesus. This is why we say Jesus is the Son of God. John 20, verses 1 to 8, it says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. 
So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the inn at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were, staying. So these words right here is what took place. And it's kind of the testimony of John. John, who was right there and was the disciple. And John does this thing throughout the book of John. He kind of like makes reference to himself without saying it was him. And we, we, we understand and know with pretty, uh, uh, pre- pretty much certainty that this is John and Peter. And so they both run to the tomb. And John, you know, like throws in a little side note. I beat him. I beat him in the running race. Uh, You know, destroyed him. Peter, slow Peter, that's what we call him. Uh, um, Lead foot Peter, or I don't know. I don't know what we call him. But uh, he was slow to uh, the tomb, and John, in his cross-country training, got to the tomb first and stood there and looked. And Peter, who was more bold than John, ran in and started looking at the looking at what was going on as John was just kind of sitting at the entrance. And then John said he the other one, the fast one, uh, not the slow one, uh, the fast one came in and it says he saw and believed. He went inside and saw and believed. And so you see what is taking place and you have to understand the whole context of all that is going on and the different characters and the different people is the intent, the goal of what took place was to get rid of an earthly threat. That was the goal. The point of all of it was it was going to be public. It was going to be painful. It was going to be clear. And that threat, that earthly threat would be done away with it. But the results was totally different. The goal was to get rid of the threat. And the result was to reveal the supernatural power of God. That was the result. The result was to reveal how, how silly the people were to think that they could put aside the voice of God that they could put down the Messiah, that they could, they could control this situation and they could say, manipulate what was taking place and change the hearts and minds of people. The goal was to get rid of the threat and the result was to reveal the supernatural power of God. And it was on that moment that John said, I saw it and I believed. So John had been with Jesus. He had seen lots of things. He had been around him. He saw things that that are miraculous and unbelievable. He heard teachings that were things that, you know, nobody had ever said before, incredible things. But it says in that moment, he saw and he was, something changed. Something changed dramatically in his life. And it's kind of moments like this that are really, really important. 
It's moments like this that can define a life, that can define who you are, that all of a sudden there's a moment in time where it's like, okay, that changes things. Everything is different now. I love it when you watch a movie, right? You watch a movie or you watch a show and you're like, hey, I'm following along. I get the plot. I know who the good guys are. I know who the bad guys are. And then all of a sudden, whoa, something happens. Blew my mind. I didn't know the bad guy's the good guy and the good guy's the bad guy. And they didn't realize it. You know, those those twists. And you have those moments and you're like, this changes things. Did you see what took place? Ooh, I was fooled. Everything is different. This was that moment, I think, for John. And this is the moment for history. And this is the moment that we need to dwell on. And this is the moment that is so significant. All of a sudden, everything changes. That changes things. And that's how John sums it up. He saw and believed. I've had a few moments like this in my life, a couple, and I've shared some of those before here with you, but they're so pivotal for me. It's important for me to share them, and it's important for me to remember them. I remember in my life when I was a 10th grader. It's interesting. I have a 10th grader now. I have my, my son is in 10th grade, but I remember in 10th grade, I remember in 10th grade, I made a commitment to, to uh, myself, to part of my church to say, I'm going to read through the Bible. And I started reading through the Bible. Actually, John was one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I was reading through and, and I regularly would read at night before I went to bed. I just said, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to make a commitment to it. I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to do this uh, every night before I go to bed. And you know, there's if you're uh, 15 years old and you're reading a uh, book that some of the pages were written 5,000 years ago, it's not necessarily a page turner. I wasn't necessarily a reader. I wanted to get more into my baseball almanac maybe and look up, uh, you know, uh, Bill Buckner stats or something like that. That's kind of would be something that would be more interesting to me, but I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I'd read. And something happened to me. It was odd, it was strange, and this is how the word became flesh in my life. But it was something that was unique to me. As I, was, as I would read, I would go to bed and I would, I would uh, close my eyes after I read and I would just like sit there and I would mull over what I read. And I did it in a very peculiar and odd way. I would do it like I was preaching a sermon. And I've continued to do that for the rest of my life. As I read through the scripture, I would read it and I would read through kind of like maybe something like this. Imagine you read through this story about John and, you, and I was sitting there in bed to the audience of no one thinking through, oh, I would, here's how I would preach it. He saw and he believed and then everybody would cheer and everybody would, uh, everybody would get the point. And so in my head, as I was going to bed at night, I would rehearse. And I would think through how I would communicate this if I was up on stage preaching. That's odd. I told you I was a nerd, nerd and I told you I was a weird person. But that was an odd thing. It was not something that I thought I was going to do. It's just something that happened to me. And so kind of for a, a, a significant season, there in my 10th grade year, I was preaching sermons every night. 
as I would fall asleep. And now people fall asleep to my sermons. Uh, but uh, okay, all right. Um, but anyways, something was happening. Something was happening in my life. And then I remember one night, very distinctly. I remember exactly where I was sitting. And there was, I had this little desk and I was sitting there and I was reading and I was doing my nightly routine and I was reading through it. And I knew that the next day I would be going to a, uh, a church event, uh, a, um, a youth service. And I was, I was reading and all of a sudden this thought came to me and I would say it's the voice of God. And I don't know exactly how to describe that to you. But the voice came to me or the thought came to me in my head. Tomorrow, they're going to preach a, ser- a sermon about people dedicating their life to being a pastor. And you're going to go forward and you're going to dedicate your life to being a pastor. It's like, okay. Uh, that was a weird thought, but I've been preaching a lot of sermons in my head lately. So uh, there's lots of weird stuff that's going on in my life. And... Bill Buckner missed that ground ball. So you never know what's going to happen. So, so I went to uh, the event the next day. And I remember walking around. And I remember other people kind of walking around and going about their business. And it felt really weird because it didn't seem like they should just be walking around about their business. Because it seemed like this day was different and unique. And I was looking around at people and saying, you just don't get it, do you? You don't get what this day is about. And I went to the church service. And the guy said, today, I'm going to preach about uh, the, the fact that I think maybe somebody in this room might want to give their life to being a pastor. That's how we opened it up. And I kind of went, huh, that's never happened to me before. That's interesting. Wow. And he preached his message. At the end of his message, he said, Would anybody like to come up and respond to this message? He went on for 30 minutes. And I walked up, and the room was full, probably 400 people, and nobody else walked up there. The guy, the guy didn't know this, but all he needed to do was he only needed one line. That's all he needed, because as soon as he said that opening line, I knew it. I knew that God had spoken to me. I knew what was taking place. And I walked forward and I, I prayed with that guy and I kind of told him what happened. And he um, he said, all right, well, get after it. Start working on that, because it sounds like God is trying to speak to you about something. And the course of my life was dramatically changed. So there's been thousands of times in my life where I've remembered that moment. I've remembered that moment because there's other times where I thought, man, maybe I should do something else with my life. Or maybe I would like to do something else with my life. But no, God spoke and something changed. You see, there's moments in time where things are changed and things are different. And all of a sudden, we're transformed. And that is what took place here. 
And that is what John is communicating, that there was people that their goal was to get rid of an earthly threat. And what happened is the result was to reveal the supernatural power of God. And if you think about that for a second, there was a goal to do something and the result was dramatically different. And lots of times in life that takes place. A lot of times there are goals that people have. Goals that, that, that people have in their mind. And what takes place is totally different. What results is totally different. And even in your life, you may have moments in time where you're like, I have this path or I have this direction or I have this goal in mind. And the result when God shows up is dramatically different. There are times maybe where the goal is maybe you look around and you say, man, there's going to be bad things that take place in this moment. And the result is different than maybe you thought it would be because the supernatural power of God shows up. In an incredible way. And so you see, and we understand through reading this whole book and getting a scope of the entire story and hearing about all of the different people that were involved with this, why John is writing the book. And he really writes it out very clearly in chapter 20. This is why I wrote this book to you. We should pay attention to that. It says this. It says in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he said, I wrote this so that you'd believe. And I wrote this that you would believe and that if you believe, you may have life in his name. I wrote this that you may have life. The goal was death, but the result was life. You understand that's what took place. The goal was death. The result was life. And that's what happened when God's supernatural power was at work in this situation is that they tried to kill Jesus, did kill Jesus, but the result was life. And he said, believe it so that you can have life, not death, life, not death. And that's the point. And that's the point of the book, and that's the point of his testimony, and that's the point of Christianity, is that there would be something that would take place that would dramatically and forever alter the course of your life. Something that maybe there's this kind of earthly thing that is taking place that it's, it's, it seems like death. It seems like that's what's winning. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to take place. But no, believe in his name and there will be life. And that's the result. That's something that I've experienced in my life. That's something that some of you in this room and probably in many different ways, a hundred different ways, have experienced at some point in their life is that no, it's not about death. It's about life. And that's what God is all about. And that's what the story of Jesus is all about. There's something incredible that takes place when a moment like this, a defining moment like this seeps in. And what John is saying, I saw and I believe something incredible takes place 
that everything else doesn't matter. Everything else kind of fades away. Everything else that seemed like was such a big deal, Jesus on the cross, he was about to die. You know, he's dying. He's breathing his last breath. He's saying it's finished. All of these stuff, all of that doesn't matter anymore because there is life. And that's what incredibly took place. There's kind of this interesting picture or this idea that I think that he's trying to express that I kind of can understand and grasp. There's almost like this bulletproof nature to his life at this point in time. Because he looks around and he experienced and saw Jesus die, but then he saw Jesus alive. And all of a sudden, nothing else really matters I'm not afraid of all of these other things that people are afraid of. I'm not like focused on that. I understand life. The life that is eternal life. That is beyond any of the other things that this world can throw at us. Any of the earthly threats that come our way. Almost this bulletproof type of idea. Understand that there's a lot of times in life where it seems like the outcome is death. But the reality is the supernatural power of God results in life. So if you're going through something that feels like death, if you can grasp and understand the supernatural power of God, it could possibly be something that produces life. Now, of course, there's troubles and difficulties in this world, and Jesus talked a lot about it in this book. But there's something that just takes place and transforms us when we understand this and it gets deep into our soul. There's a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, that uh, we always seem to talk about around this time of year. The month of August is our Good Neighbor Project, and my, my friend Amy Saunders is probably my inspiration behind wanting to do the Good Neighbor Project. In the month of August, we'll do a bunch of events around our community to try to demonstrate to our community that we love them and we care about them. My friend Amy, who is a part of this church for uh, a season of time and was such an important uh, member of our church on our worship team, was on our leadership board uh, actually kind of um, was stepping into potentially being on staff and then she uh, her and her family moved away to Texas um, her husband got transferred and they moved away and it was a really hard moment for us to say goodbye to a close friend but uh, as many of you know about a year ago a little over a year ago Amy found out that she had some a, a serious form of cancer and for the last year plus, she has been in an incredible fight for her life. Incredible. And there's moments in time where it was unclear what the outcome would be. So you, you can imagine if you have a friend that's close to you that you care about quite a bit, it's, it's hard like thinking about that from afar and wanting to support, wanting to help. And uh, I remember last year about this time, I texted Amy and said, hey, Amy, I'm going to talk about you a little bit. Good Neighbor Project's coming up. And she's like, oh, I love Good Neighbor Project. And I was like, Good Neighbor Project this year, it's COVID. 
So we don't know what we're going to do. We can't go around the neighborhood handing out ice cream cones to everybody. We would get arrested. So uh, we couldn't do some of the things we did. So I said, Amy, this year, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hand out, we're going to give everybody 50 bucks and tell them, you got to go out and do your own good neighbor project. That's what we did last year for our good neighbor project. And I texted her, told her about it. She sent me a message back. She said, what a great idea. She said, I'm buying donuts for all the nurses on my floor right now to do a good neighbor project this afternoon because she was like, I got to do a good neighbor project. She was in the hospital and she bought donuts for all the people. And she said, this is my good neighbor project right here. That's the kind of person she is. Well, I saw this yesterday and I saw this uh, pop up, uh, this picture pop up on her Facebook feed yesterday right here. And she, this is, this is Amy. And she had a post. She said this, she said, today is my 41st birthday. This was from yesterday. And she said, I didn't know. This is kind of a paraphrased quote, but she said, I didn't know if I would have it. I am so happy. It's one of the best days of my life for her to have her 41st birthday birthday. What an incredible picture and reminder that God is a God of life. And there's moments in time where, man, it is so scary, painful to look around and think about life in terms of death and all of the things that are terrible in this world, but there is something incredible when we can grasp that God is the God of life. When we face maybe in a moment where we think maybe this might be the end, and now we have new life. How awesome is it that Amy had her 41st birthday, right? Isn't it awesome? John, in this moment, says, This is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Will you pray with me? God, I believe you're the God of life. You're not the God of death. You're the God of life. You're the God of eternal life. You're the God of new life. You're the God of resurrection life. So I'm so thankful for these words. I'm so thankful that they were written down so that I may believe.
and then in that belief that I may have life. So God, I pray for life. I pray for the life that only you can give. God today I pray once again that you would forgive me of my sins God I recognize and know that the wages of sin is death I recognize and know that if I live my life without you There isn't true life, abundant life, eternal life. So God, I believe. I believe that you can forgive me. I believe that you can raise the dead. I believe that you created this world. You created this world not for death. You created this world for life. God, I believe that you came to earth to demonstrate your supernatural power over death. that you came to earth that we might believe and that we might have life. So God, I pray for myself and I pray for everyone in this room. I pray that we would have that moment where we enter into the tomb. We see what's taken place and we believe. So God, forgive us. God, save us. God, give us new life. As we go to our time of communion, just take a moment. Take a moment to Think about that first Easter, that resurrection day, where John walked into the tomb and he saw and he believed. And I want you to stop in your own life and ask, do I believe? Have I been filled with new life? Cry out to God, ask God to help you, forgive you, be with you.
God, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for demonstrating all of these things so that we may believe and that we may have life in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.